As the world begins to emerge from the cave of the 21st century and opens its eyes onto the suffering from centuries of injustice and the bastardization of what it means to be free, the new Nomos podcast is a call. A call for a new beginning. A call for the new men and the new women that yearn to be truly free. A call for us to fulfill our destiny. A call for a new Nomos on the earth. Welcome to the New Nomos Podcast. I'm Abdallah Dutton, inviting you to join me on this journey of discovery to define what the New Nomos is and what we need to get there. Here we are at the start of a new year, which seemed to be the right time to make a slight tweak to this podcast. This journey will continue from where we left off last year with a new name, but the form and the format will stay the same. And so we find ourselves at the sense of taste. And with that obviously comes food, and with food comes the idea of hospitality. Hosting people, feeding people, and honouring guests. Now in my life, nowhere has this been as exemplified than by the life and daily practice of Dr. Ian Dallas. Dr. Dallas was a Scottish writer, philosopher, and leader, and one could say one of the great polymaths of the modern era. And I had the great honor of living in his house for a number of years, and a major part of that was being present at his table, the daily event the likes of which cannot really be found today. So to share the essence of this event for those that didn't have the opportunity to experience it and the importance of the teachings within it, I recorded this episode. And who better to explore this idea with than Chef Yusuf Perith, the man who was Dr. Dallas's personal chef for over 16 years. I've had the honor and great pleasure of enjoying his food on numerous occasions and if you want to get an idea of how he has mastered his craft and the beauty of the dishes he creates, have a look at his Instagram at Chef Joseph Perith, which will give you a deeper understanding of his journey. Without much further ado, I present to you episode 23, Dr. Dallas's Table, Time, Discipline and the Art of Hospitality. Dr. Dallas took a lot of time of his time in, and he put it towards food, you know, like talking about Dr. Dallas, if you ask me what has been your experience, what have you seen Dr. Dallas do on an everyday basis is, is food. Like he, he built everything around food for saying it somehow, you know, like it was a very important, uh, event every day. He will take a portion of his time to discuss the recipes with me, discuss the menu, discuss where we're going to get the ingredients and what ingredients and, you know, discuss who were the guests coming so we will cook for the occasion, you know. It was everything about cooking for the occasion and creating an occasion. And um, yeah, so I mean, the importance that he gave 
to the food uh, is 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 huge you know it's something that he did every day you know it wasn't a day that he slack and uh, and to create that atmosphere bringing the people together to eat and creating that atmosphere that allow other things to to grow from you know i mean there was a lot of occasions where there was uh, great discussions that happened after lunch and people were very excited about what they're saying and they were talking with passion and there was like an atmosphere of like things happening you know and sometimes he would look at me and he said like this is all because of you you know and <laughs> of course it was because of of the food and also I mean the energy that I brought into the food and and uh, the energy that the fruit brought into the room and into the people that were partaking into that meal so apart from food being delicious and being a joy and being a way to health and it's also a, a key element in in politics for example in philosophy in, in just having good company and having a good time like food will always raise the boss up if the food is done correctly you know and if the food is done with what we call baraka you know with with love and with understanding and and if you cook for the occasion you know then it brings brings that up in you you know that genesis uh, quoi you know has <laughs> make you thrive so you were dr ian dallas's personal chef for 16 years how did you come to be his chef Ah uh, well that's, <laughs> that's a little bit of an uh, adventure you know I I mean when I was uh, in my hometown in Granada uh, I just wanted to travel and explore and to get out of my city learn English as well so I came to South Africa and I met Dr Dallas in my sister wedding and we had an encounter and he asked me like what i was doing and and he saw that i didn't really have like a particular direction in that point in time so he invited me to come to south africa uh, i still didn't know i was going to cook but i took his advice and and i came to south africa how old were you i was uh, the first time i came i was 16 and then i came back when i was 17 yeah, so i was just 17 and yeah I I came to South Africa and two weeks after I was in South Africa uh the former chef of Dr Dallas approached me and asked me if I wanted to help him in the kitchen. So yeah I mean I accepted I saw it yeah, as an opportunity to stay in South Africa and fulfill my goal which was learning English and uh at that time I didn't have a particular passion for for food. but i do remember helping my mother in the kitchen a lot in regarding the food you know i preferred to cook than clean dishes but one of the things that i realized that i also love is feeding i love feeding people but not just people i used to love feeding animals and i still do you know when you give a horse a whole apple and you know that crunching noise and that face of happiness you know I, i i really enjoy that i used to enjoy like even cooking for my dog you know I had a a dog that uh, used to be my friend, you know, <laughs> and and I used to cook for him, you know. I used to buy ingredients such as like broken rice that they sell very cheap, 
And then I go to the butcher and I ask for the bones. And then I put wherever vegetables they were going off. And I put everything to a pot and I will cook it for my dog. And then when I feed it, I will have a satisfaction by seeing him eating the food and making all these noises and even plants, you know, I <laughs> I love, you know, when I see a plant that is thirsty, you know, you just go there and throw some water, you know, and it's, I get a satisfaction out of it. So, I mean, I did have previous contact with food and everything, but I didn't, I didn't discover that passion for, for food and for the culinary world mm. yet. But yeah, after six months of, of being with uh, this chef in the kitchen and trying to learn what I could because it was a big language barrier, I couldn't speak English and this person didn't speak Spanish. So yeah, it was uh, a process of adaptation, I would say, these first six months. And then without previous notice, this chef left and yeah, there was no one to cook food for, for that date. So I make a poulet au onions, a recipe of Marberac. And Dr. Dallas really enjoyed it. And he offered me the job of being his chef. I mean, at the time I was just a cook, but uh, he gave me the title right away and, and he saw that I could become that. So yeah, I became his personal uh, cook at the, the age of 17. In the beginning it was really hard because I couldn't speak English. I didn't know how to cook. I mean, I just saved the day by cooking this chicken that, you know, uh, it came out right. <laughs> but I had a lot to learn, you know. So through cooking books, uh, there was a big uh, cooking book library in the house. And through cooking with those books, which were from the top chefs, like Paul Bocuse, uh, Escoffier, um, Alan Ducasse, uh, Mademoine, all these top French chefs. And then I started cooking these recipes and I used to also get feedback from Dr. Dallas. Dr. Dallas uh, at the time was, he must have been in his uh, late seventies. He was very, very well traveled and he ate everywhere in all of the top restaurants, uh, in France, in Italy. And show when he went to Mexico, he indulged into the Mexican food. Like he was, uh, he had a very broad knowledge of, uh, of cooking. And I think he was a very talented uh, cook himself, but, uh, his mentor told him that he shouldn't cook because, uh, Otherwise, the people around him were, were was going to become fat, <laughs> and he took that on. But the passion for for the food was still still there. So I mean, he used to give me uh, new cooking books every like two three months. I would have a new cook, cooking book. I used to sit with him for hours uh, discussing what we're going to do next. Like was was going to be the next meal, how we were going to pair the different plates. So. It will be good for the digestion. It will be uh, not too heavy, not too light. If it was winter, you needed more calories. So it was, uh, we discussed all the details uh, uh, of preparing a meal, you know, who the guests that they were going to be, what was the best thing for those specific guests. So little by little, I start acquiring 
knowledge of it and start learning about these things. One of the things that uh, was new for me was the importance of the chef in the household, you know, uh, because Dr. Dallas had a very uh, aristocratic setup with a butler, uh, with secretaries. There were all sort of different positions in the house. And yeah, what struck me was like the importance of the chef, you know, I always thought cooking was something that the woman did in the kitchen, you know. Uh, yeah, they did. <laughs> the woman cook, you know, and the men do other things, you know. But yeah, the first thing that struck me is, is the importance of the chef in the household. Also talking to, to a captain from the ships, he also told me that, yeah, the, the person who owns the ship is most important, obviously. Then it's the captain that uh, drives the boat, and then it's the doctor and the chef. Those are the most important people in the boat. <laughs> So, I mean, that gave me a lot to think, you know, and uh, to approach eating, not just uh, in the way of nourishment, but also in the way of the order of things, you know. Eating can be a discipline if you take it as such, you know, if you, if you really look into it and make it a discipline, you will have the benefits of when you do something in order, you know, you will bring order to your life. You have to eat at least two times a day. The best thing is to eat maybe four times. So you have your breakfast in the morning and then after the breakfast, that's a time that you dedicate for something. Then it's the time for lunch and you take a break from that activity that you were doing. And then after lunch is a, is a new chapter to do new things or to be invigorated in what you were doing. If you just taking a, a break for, for lunch, you know, that will give you the energy to continue doing that activity with renewed energy. Then you have the, the time for tea. So that's another break. And after the tea, you might decide just to rest for a little bit or take it easy. And then it's the time for dinner. So, I mean, if you give importance to these times, your day become order around this, uh, this eating times, you know? Yeah. So that was the other thing that I started learning about is hold on a second. You know, there is uh, a discipline to it. You shouldn't eat every day at the different times. For example, you should eat every day uh, at the same time. You know, if you have breakfast at nine, between nine and 10, have breakfast between nine and 10 every day. If you have lunch between one and two, then do that every day. And then the body gets used to it as well. And then, you know, nourishes the body in, in a much better way, you know. And then, I mean, the most important thing that strikes me is, is, is what the food brought into, into the situations. I mean, Dr. Dallas had uh, a lot of friends. There was people invited for lunch every day, not just friends, but people that he was doing work with or, you know, any sort of activity, he will, he will take the opportunity of, of the meal as a kickstart for, for events or for meetings or for just uh, getting to know someone. So yeah, that's another thing that I start discovering is like, hold on a second, be behind this thing that is just putting food in your mouth 
is is much more to it you know mm-hmm. how you honor your guest just by positioning in in different chairs at table you know you sitting at the head of the table and whatever you want to honor you put closer to you you know as close as you put them the bigger the honor so the person on the right and the person on the left sh- should be like the uh, a star guest then another thing that i started learning uh, was about the manners of of the table the adapt or the respect that one should give food when you are going to eat it from the preparation from the acquirement of the ingredients which you know when i when i buy meat one of the things that i take care of is that the animal is being like well treated it's not mass produced meat slaughtered like god knows how you know animals in cages getting fed with uh, antibiotics and you know other things so yeah all these things were taken in count it wasn't just uh, let's cook whatever comes our way you know it's, it have to be chosen so you really put your mind into it and in that way you paying respect to the food and you honoring what you're going to eat the other important thing is the act of sitting at table in uh, dr dallas house you always have to wear a tie and a and a jacket to sit at table unless it was like 40 degrees and then you were allowed to take your tie off but yeah being at your best being present being aware of the people who are serving you that was very important at the table other things about the personality of the people emerges and dr dallas used to use the table as that he said like what do you miss in the saloon you can see at table you know then i learned something something else there is a psychology about food and a psychology about eating that i was completely unaware of if you're a person eats too fast what that means if you the person eat too slow if you he put too much food in his plate if he's eating and he's carried away with the conversation and he's unaware that he's eating and is not paying attention to something that is being prepared and that have taken a lot of hours and a lot of effort to do and and you just dismissing it by not being present i was also taken by that you know like okay so you can learn about other people just seeing how they eat you know <laughs> that was uh, fascinating you know <laughs> you know if the person made a comment about the food and said that was delicious that was like a good sign you know like this many sound you know mm-hmm. and then uh, after eating you know after uh, eating we usually had cigars and Uh, sometimes I was invited to the cigars so I could see the other side of of cooking you know which is being among the guests and I'm benefiting from from that and you could see you know when when the food was top 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 quality the energy in the room was thrilling you know the people were thriving the the conversation was high you know ideas were emerging you know things were happening And yeah, I remember one of in in one of these meetings there was magic in the in the room. And Dr. Dallas looked at me and he says this is all because of you, you know. And and then again I learned something new like okay, so hold on a second. Apart from eating is the what happens after you eat. 
and the effect of that food in the people, you know. It can be positive or, or can be negative. If the food is heavy and it's too greasy and you have rushed eating in, then you're probably going to get indigestion. You're not going to be inspired to have a conversation or you're not going to be inspired to, you know, to do anything. You It's, it's going to create a, a negative effect and you're probably just going to have a siesta or, you know, or take something to relieve the pain. So I'm curious because you said as, as part of your journey, you said that, I mean, you started knowing next to nothing. And you were personally guided by Dr. Dallas to the highest of the world's cuisines. Now, I want to know a little bit more about that process, because you mentioned Dr. Dallas gave a lot of time to the importance of the meal which therefore led on to the importance of the chef in the household, etc., etc. Now, what I want to know is, in, in the preparation of the menu for the next day, what, what was going on? How was that process? I mean, because you were obviously learning daily from it. What was going on in those interactions? Uh, well, it, they did evolve. Uh, I mean, in the beginning, Dr. Dallas will just give me a recipe and say, like, read this or cook this, or then we will start going through the books together, you know, and saying, oh, we could do this or we could do that, or, you know, take a few options. And then, I mean, we will, we will really like shape it, you know, it was a come, come and forth of, of ideas, you know, and that was like the first cooking, you know, like, <laughs> putting the ideas all together, like chopping what you didn't like, like putting up other things, like adding an extra plate that might digest another plate, you know, it, it was, it, I don't know, it was artistic, scientific, political, and philosophical at the same time, you know. Really? Yeah, artistics because you want like something that looks good, that tastes nice, that uh, is presentable, you know, that is challenging, you know, new things. Then the technique we used to choose of 20 recipes for the same thing, like the best possible one, you know, because he cooked the potatoes too long or this this one doesn't put salt in before or like, you know, there was, uh, yeah, trying to make sense of the recipes before you even cook them. So for that, you need that scientific brain of like, okay, this guy's putting too much sugar in the, in the custard, you know? And I know it now because I've done it before and mm -hmm. I know what's the chemistry. And then uh, politically, because we were cooking for a selected few and sometimes we will be in, build the menu around the guest, you know? Could you give an example? of a menu that was specifically curated for a specific guest? Uh, yeah, I mean, the fresher example that comes uh, to my mind is uh, this time, uh, actually I was cooking alone, but I already got this thinking from Dr. Dallas. And I remember Catherine Winnick was coming to have dinner with us in, in Dallas house and she's from uh, Ukraine from that side so I met her at Borsch but a bit different you know but 
the the spirit of the borscht was there, you know, of this uh, Ukrainian traditional uh, soup, you know. And yeah, I mean, the effect, the impact that did on her was visible, you know, like, and, and the comments that she made and, you know, so why is that politically? Because you're really like r rising to the level of that person or like tickling her <laughs> passions or her, you know, emotions or, or wherever it is, you know. And, and yeah, I mean, philosophical because, uh, I mean, you can make poetry out of food, you know, and talk about it for hours about, <laughs> you know, what's the best apples are, and why are the best apples and, you know, what the apple is, you know, I mean, and it's also a lot of stories around food, you know, from everywhere, from every culture, from every angle. So way before you talked about if food is done properly. And a part of that is everything that happens in the kitchen. Now you've chosen, you've specifically chosen this recipe, you've got the ingredients for that recipe. And now lights, camera, action, you're in the kitchen. How does one guarantee that the ingredients metamorphose into something that's done correctly? Well, I mean, it's a few factors. Uh, there are chefs that are much more scientific or mathematical than other chefs, you know. Mm -hmm. There's the ones that uh, like to measure everything, you know, and everything has a measurement and a time. And, you know, I like to cook a little bit more with the instinct. Uh, so by being there, by observation, by, I come to the realization that in the kitchen, two plus two is not always four, you know? So you might have a guide of measurements, but you need to have the eye and the feeling and the touch and the nose and the palate for it. You know, those, those are things that play a big role. Uh, also the technique is, is important and, and as I say, you need a little, a little bit of science as well, you know, and, and knowing the science before, like if you were in a lab to, to create a perfume or to create something else, you know? Yeah. So yeah, part of it is, is science and, and the other part is, is feeling. You have to have a, both hand with hand, you know? Because, uh, yeah, if you follow the science to the dot, you might not arrive to what you wanted. So you have to have the science, but at the same time, you have to have the feeling and, and, and see what is happening in the process, you know, where you have to like get off the script or, you know, go right or go left or go a bit higher or lower, you know. What's the most complex dish you've ever put together? The most complex dish. Well, once I did this thing that is, you have a turkey and inside the turkey, you put a duck and inside the duck, you put a quail and then you stuff the quail. So yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's quite a complex one because you don't really know what's happening inside. Uh, especially if you don't have one of these uh, temperature thermometers that I didn't have at the time. So, but... With experience, everything becomes easier. The most complex dishes that you cook is always the first time you do them, you know. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, there's ones that take a lot of time. There's ones that you have to be very precise for a very short time. You know, uh, it will be difficult to like say like, yeah, this is the most mm -hmm. difficult one. You know, one that have that gave me a lot of problems uh, when I was learning how to cook is is the Hollandaise sauce. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's not a dish, but it's it's a sauce because I have to learn it by myself. And yeah, that was that was a nightmare. Like I I got it wrong like so many times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had like thrown a bucket of eggs and butter like down the drain, you know, of all the failures. But I mean, once I learned how to do it, then it became so easy, you know. Like now it's, it's super easy, you know. One of the things that took me a long time to to do right was just simple tomato sauce pasta, you know. That's uh one of the things that uh, have taken me the longest time to to master, you know, or to do it up to the standards of Dr. Dallas, you know. One day he looked at me like, try not to be too hard on me, you know, and he said to me, you know, the thing is I had had pasta with Fellini while the spaghetti were still drying in the olive trees, you know. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I would say pasta with tomato sauce, uh, was one of the challenges to get the right uh, density of the sauce so it wraps the spaghetti with sauce sticking out throughout the spaghetti but you don't have a bowl of soup once you have eaten your pasta you know mm -hmm. like all the sauce is, is gone with the pasta there's nothing left in the plate funny enough the salad dressings were actually quite difficult First was the avocado dressing, which, uh, so the way we do avocados in Dallas house is you cut the avo in half and you serve it with salad dressing. But I call it avo dressing, you know, because I wouldn't put this in any other salad. And yeah, that took me a long time to, to get it right. But when I got it right, like, yeah, now whoever tastes that is, is overwhelmed, you know, and it's just like avo and dressing, you know, that's all it is. Mm, okay. Fascinating. No, I just think it's interesting because it's, it's almost like the hardest or the, the most difficult things to do with those things that on the outward could also, could almost be seen as the most simple, yeah. but in getting it to its place of perfection, yeah, there is where comes the famous French omelette, you know. You think you might be able to, to do, but to do it to perfection is, is a different world, you know. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, it comes back to this book that I've been reading, The Art of Learning, and also drawing on the episode on jujitsu. In the world of martial arts, even the most simple moves, you can do them again and again, and again, and again, and each time you tweak it ever so slightly yeah. until you've perfected it. Yeah, and it's a killer, killer move, you know. Yeah, and then you yeah. go on to the next one, but it's something so simple, and, and in this case, it's the, the author's talking about Tai Chi and this kind of push-hand movements in Tai Chi. He was saying the point at which your opponent is blinking their eyes. He says for a the split second, they're blind. Yeah. And says, if you can make your move 
timed perfectly in that split second. It's like you, they'll be on the floor and they didn't even realize how they got there. And they genuinely don't know. And he's talking about it like he was doing this with his partner. And then at one point he told his partner that that was his trick. And then he had to go to another level because then his partner knew that when he blinked, it was when the guy was going to attack. Yeah, it's but it's like you see that when you get to the, the, the levels of mastery, it's the devil's in the details. Yeah. You know, it's the most simple things, but it's there. And you can and you can use it to your advantage. And the other thing that uh, because I was working for for a writer, we also used to link uh, a lot of the cooking to literature. Mm-hmm. You know, we cook recipes from Alexander Duma. You know, we have the super moules from Alexander Duma. You know, which is it's one of the nicer things I have actually cooked. Mm-hmm. That's one of the best which is three soups that are combined into one. You do a beef uh, broth, you do a tomato soup, and you do a mussels broth. Oh. Yeah. Then you combine them all together, reduce it, and, you know, cook it for hours. You know, it's something that takes hours. That's one of the top dishes, uh, I will say, that I have done. We used to also do this uh, 12-hour leg of lamb from Colette. You know, and that was the anecdote that, you know, the guests of Colette complimented the food and said that you could eat it with a spoon. Mm. Uh, and it takes 12 hours. So, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a whole experience, you know. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, if we found any recipes in even novels sometimes, so, you know, we'll mm. give it thought and, and try to, to replicate it. Yeah. So I mean, food apart is also it has a a big connection to to culture, you know, mm-hmm. to culture and to any other art, especially to literature, you know, mm-hmm. because a lot of the writers they will put in their stories like something that they have eat. Yeah, there is a big connection between food and literature, you know. I'm even thinking now is like what you were saying earlier is telling a story through the food, like with the example of Catherine Winnick, you were creating a narrative through the food. So when you put that bowl of borscht in front of her, I mean, that's, that's a whole story for her. Yeah, first she recognized that she was the guest of honor, you know, because there was a specific dish created for her, you know, uh, to bring her memories of of her homeland, you know, as an actress, you probably don't spend a lot of time in your hometown, you know. Mm-hmm. Another thing is if you have flown straight from there and then you are like, okay, they're giving me the same as mm-hmm. in my country. But if you put it in context and you know one or two details about the person, yeah. you can, you know, you can honor them in, in ways. From your perspective, 16 years, day in, day out, meticulously deciding the menu, going to the shops and getting the right ingredients so that you have all the raw materials to create alchemy in the kitchen, produce these amazing dishes that were being served at table and inspiring these creative and expansive conversations. Why do you think Dr. Dallas gave so much importance and time 
and effort to the food and the event of the event of the dining room. What is that expression? The proof is in the pudding, you know. I mean, you have to be in one of these rooms and and feel the energy to to really appreciate it. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you eat good food and you do it, as I say, in the in the proper manner, which is all that we've been discussing, then the result is is inspirational. You know, you get inspired, you get cure, you get revigorated by food. Honor, you can honor people with food. I mean, it's a lot of layers to it. I mean, it's a great pleasure as well, you know, the taste, the flavors. It's a pleasure for all ages and all races, all sexes, you know, we, everyone needs to eat, you know, and everybody can benefit from the pleasure of eating good food, you know. So how can one take from your experience and your learning and implement that in their lives if they don't have the same, let's say, outward setup of, you mentioned Dr. Dallas had a very aristocratic household. He had a butler, chef, doctor, etc. Now, how could one take that form like, to distill it to its absolute essence? How can one replicate that essence? I mean, you have to make an effort to to do it, you know. Even if you have a small kitchen, even if you have just potatoes, you, you can still replicate it, you know, if you put enough care and in, enough uh, time and enough uh, worry into in, in, into these ingredients that you have, even if they are very basic, you know, you can cook the potatoes 24 hours in, in sunflower oil and you're going to see the result of the potatoes by cooking it in a very low heat for a very long time. And then you might be poor, you might not have a lot, but what you have is, is top quality, is fit for, for a king, you know. Mm. Yeah, as I say, it is it's it's an effort, you know, and it's it's a discipline. You you have to want to in, implement that in your life. It have to be almost a, a way of, of living, you know. Yeah, I mean if you jump out of bed and you need to be at work and you're late, now you miss breakfast or you just have it on the go. That breakfast is not gonna uh, give you the same boost, and it's not gonna nourish you as if you wake up, lay down a tray with nice china, cook your eggs like very specifically, you know, know how to combine ingredients as well. That's that's very important, especially when you talk about the healthy aspect of food. What uh, healthy food is, uh, for example, Doctor Dallas, he never had eggs without orange juice because the orange juice will help the egg to be digested and in that way you don't get this cholesterol and these other problems you know so so yeah i mean it's, it's almost a way of living and and a discipline that you have to to acquire you know you have to make an effort for it uh yeah, it's not going to come on its own, you know, mm. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> and also there is a bit of a misconception of what uh, healthy food is. 
like there's meat has these connotations that is unhealthy, you know. Mm. Uh, but it's uh, it's a lot to do with what meat are you eating in first place. You know, are you eating a battery chicken or are you eating a chicken that have been able to bath in the sun and do the things that they do with earth and you know eat some worms and you know have a dignified life and then you know what are you pairing it with you know because some ingredients will help digest the other ingredients you know if you have a if you're cooking lamb for example and you want to make it healthier you want to make something that goes through the system easy and doesn't take too much effort in the stomach or the liver or any of the organs to to digest that. There is techniques that you can do like marinating it, let's say, for example, in papaya. The enzymes of the papaya start breaking down the, the fat particles and, you know, start digesting the food for you already. So yeah, that lamb that is being well-raised and is half some uh, time of marinating, then you cook it for a long period of time. And then when you eat it, you pair it with things that as well will help the digestion of the lamb. So maybe you finish uh, uh, the lunch with pineapples, you know, that also have that quality of of helping the digestion, you know. So yeah, I mean, healthy food. Uh, if you have good ingredients, you cook it well and you don't eat too much of any specific thing you eat a little bit of everything then everything is healthy food you know it's, you can indulge in in little things that yeah maybe if you eat a lot it's not healthy but if you eat a little bit it's healthy you know it's mm. yeah the divine table the last supper I mean, I know in the in the chivalric history, the table was of great importance. It was an event, but it was also bonding and a place where people came together. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's the, it's the politics of the table, you know. If you watch the series The Tudors, there is that scene where the the king of France just give a massive. I think it's a collar of jewels, uh, pearls and diamonds and and whatnot, and, and and he gave that to King Henry as you know this amazing present. And then when it's the time of King Henry VIII to honor uh, the King of France, he brings in a pie, like a very big pie, you know. And, and the King of France is a bit like taking back, like I don't know, is this sort of joke or like? Don't you have anything better to to offer? But then he takes the knife and then he digs the knife in the in the pie and and birds come out of the of the pie, you know. And it's a it's a huge like applause from everybody there, and you know. Yeah, I mean, it's that element of politics, you know. It's like mm-hmm. you have given me a thing of jewels, but I'm gonna give you something that you know you can almost pay with money, you know, unless you have my chef, you know. Uh, there's a hadith of the Prophet that a man came to him with a plate of cucumber and dates and the Prophet took a bag of jewels and gave it back to him and you've just 
opened my mind to a completely different understanding of that hadith. I mean, it shows on multiple levels. One, the Prophet wasallam's immense generosity. But in, in another way, it also shows the value of feeding somebody or giving somebody food and nourishment and, and medicine and, and health. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if, also if the person gave the best that they had, you know, that is also one of the meanings. You give me the, the very best, and if the very best is a, is a sweet cucumber, then that counts as if you were giving like a bag of diamonds, you know. Yeah, and the amazing thing, you know, in, in, in the modern days where people don't, don't have time to eat, I got a, a book in the Mughal Emperor's cuisine, and at the back of the of the book, explains when they are in the campaign at war, what took for for them to what, what was the how how will they have breakfast, you know? So if they were in a in a camp, the the kitchen will move first, you know, with all the gears, and they had like. 50 cows, you know, 50 donkeys to like carry all the cookery. I mean, it was a little army on its own, you know, they had chickens for eggs. They have, they had a whole wall, you know, a little army on, on its own, just, just for food, you know, and, and, and for the emperors, he had several chefs and only one plate was expected from each chef, you know, so. And that was in times of war, you know, when you are <laughs> when you are in a battlefield, you know, and you're gonna face the enemy, and you may or may not survive, and you may or may not win, you may lose the war, like. But they knew the importance of eating, you know. They knew what brings about, you know. There is a line that says, uh, "The fate of nations depends in how they eat or in what they eat," and I mean it's. it's very truth. One of the things that I discover, like just by observing a little bit uh, history, you know, and behind every empire, there is uh, a source of carbs, potatoes, you know, like in South America, the corn, uh, the rice, uh, the wheat, uh, you know, they always had a source of. Uh, of carbohydrates so i mean that puts a little bit in perspective that line the fate of nations depends of how they eat you know mm -hmm. the key of uh, of expansion was that they had enough food to feed everybody <laughs> you know yeah, and that's how they could like carry these armies forward you know based on food you know well, i mean that's a massive part of the logistics of war yeah, not just war, even peace, you know. If you have a, a huge empire and you are at peace, you, they still need to eat, you know. When they, there was so shortage of uh, of grain in Rome, like, you saw what happened, you know. There was chaos. It's a way of showing power as well. I mean, Napoleon used to have a table with 50 seats, you know. You can display your power on the table, you know. You don't, you don't always have to show your guns, you know. You can also do it throughout a table with many seats, everything meticulous, spotless, extravagant dishes with extravagant uh, things in it, you know, like, 
like the I like the again going back to literature I I really like this chapter where in in the Count of Monte Cristo when uh, El Mundo the Count of Monte Cristo mm-hmm. yeah he comes I think from Russia or from some far away land you know and and he brings a fish from that land and and he said that he bring two fishes in a barrel you know in case one dies he still have the other one you know and the impact that makes in the guest in the event you know you have this exotic fish that comes from the other side of the wall and is still alive you know like how much trouble did he went through to get this fish you know how much did he pay for it you know probably like will blow your mind and you see the president of the united states eating mcdonald's and you know uh you wonder <laughs> talking about the fate of nations depends on what they eat what came to my mind with it kind of two contemporary extremes of on the one side you've got america and fast food and huge portions and highly processed chemicals you name it and that's the kind of state of you could say the masses of the united states and then on the other side of the political divide you've got china and the horrendous things that you see i mean i've seen the foul videos of people like eating live frogs and toads and and it's almost looking at the kind of contemporary world of food and the state of these nations it almost seems that i mean we've reached end times <laughs> yeah i mean the thing about that line the fate of nations depends on the way they eat is because if you constantly are eating junk food your intellect is going to deteriorate your capacity of doing things is going to deteriorate you are losing all the aspects of food such as the inspirational aspect that brings the political aspect that we were speaking about uh, that brings you know because if you're going to take someone to McDonald's uh, <laughs> i mean you just revealing yourself as not a very interesting person you know not a, a strong ally <laughs> if you want to put it somehow then the thing of after the food you know you you're going to feel heavy you're not going to have energy you know is is you're going to burn more energy trying to digest that food than the actually energy that you're going to take from the food and i mean one thing about food is it's just constantly absorbing energy since day one when you put a seed in the ground that seed is going to attract to itself a specific energy the way that that food is being processed is going to attract to it a different energy the way it is being cooked is going to put into it a different energy and that energy is the energy that you're going to use to go into your everyday life so if that energy is not good quality then don't expect good results you know it's like if you have a car you try to put the top oil into the engine and you try to put the top uh, gas fascinating eh? it's like i mean they say you are what you eat yeah tell me what you eat and i tell you what you are yeah because i mean at the end of the day you, part of yourself is is your energy you know and energy is not created energy is transfer you know 
So where did you get that energy from, you know? Uh, if it's good quality energy, then expect good results. If it's low quality energy, then expect lower results, you know? In your everyday performance, you know? In the building of your character. And and, and I think it's, it's happening already, you know, because uh, of the, how the world situation is and with coronavirus and how that is impacting the restaurants and because uh, restaurant was a phenomenon that started occurring after the aristocracy was done with, you know, because uh, in the aristocratic houses, they always used to have chefs. And when that way of living was gone, then these people, what they did is they start opening restaurants, you know. Um, and I think, <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I think it might naturally go back to how it was because the restaurants are closing down and and the whole thing is, is shrinking. And I think a good solution, even for corporations that have a lot of employees, business firms and and things like that, I think the logical thing is going to be to go back to have uh, personal chefs, you know. If you have a building and it's 200 people working there, then look at providing food for these people, you know, and, and have your own kitchens and have your own chef and have your own dynamic around food, you know. I think uh, we will see a bit more of that in the in the future because it's already, like, becoming very fashionable to to have a private chef. So the personal chef is when the chef is lives with you and the private chef is when you hire him to do a specific uh, dinner, you know? And it's becoming more and more popular, you know? So that is almost going back to that thing where you had a personal chef. And uh, anybody who, could, who can afford to have a personal chef should have a personal chef and practice uh, that that we were talking about structurizing the lives, the meetings, the activities around food that will really change their lives, you know, <laughs> and, and make them stronger in every sense, you know. And then when you have a business meeting, try to invite them to your house, you know, sit them in the salon until the food is ready, bring them for lunch, you know, make a whole... Uh, almost a ceremony, it's an event, you know, that is do it as an event and and see what happens, you know, and see what happens. I see that as, as a key element to, for the fulfillment of life, you know, that, uh, that sharing food and that whole energy that happens around food, if you do it right. <laughs> what I'm hearing from you is it all boils down to discipline. And I came across a line the other day, which is self-discipline is telling yourself you're going to do something and doing it. Yeah. So it's telling yourself you're going to make an effort to eat yeah. well. And to be constant in your effort. That's the thing. So maybe start with one meal a day, you know, that you are like, okay, this is... This time of the day is sacred. I remember growing up, lunchtime was everything stopped. 
And in, in Spain is one of the countries where it's still, especially for lunchtime, I remember the shops were closed for lunch. And so they will open the shop in the morning until lunchtime, which is around two, mm-hmm. and then close the shop and then open it back like at five. It it was there, you know, little by little is is getting lost, you know. Uh, also, people don't cook in their homes uh, that much anymore, you know, so... Time and discipline. Yeah. And we all have time to to cook. I mean, this thing of we don't have time when you, like, then spending, like, three hours in social media, you know. You're going to spend these hours even in social media while you have a, a stew cooking in the oven, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, maybe they prepare, the, the whole process is four hours, but the preparation is half an hour, you know, and... Yeah. That's it. You just have to remember to stir it time to time and to take it out of the oven at the right time, you know. So, I mean, I think food just bring much more than just nutrition, you know. Well, at the end of the day, it's an integral, necessary part of life. If you don't eat, you'll die. And so take that. Take that necessity and make it a pleasure, you know. And raise it to its highest. And raise it to its highest. If you have simple ingredients, do it uh, with simple ingredients. It, there is a lot of dishes in in European culture that are post-war dishes that they they created after the war when there was nothing. You know, yeah. uh, make migas out of breadcrumbs. You know, you take hard bread, which feels like you cannot do anything with it and throw on top like a few things, you know, and, and you see the result, you know. But that comes with a little bit of dedication, a little bit of thought, you know, and and then you will get a result that is gives you a, a vast amount of pleasure, you know. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Nomos podcast. On the topic of the table... I think we could have taken this conversation in so many different ways and there are so many subsequent themes that we could have touched on and delved into. But with that said, there's no doubt that Chef Yusuf Perith really gave justice to such a weighty topic. Now to seal this episode, I want to read out the words of Dr. Dallas himself where he talks about the service of the table and its importance. The heart of hospitality is the table. This has before it the act of welcome and after it the act of farewell. The further the prince goes out from his apartments to greet his guests, the higher they are honored. But it is at the table that the mark of distinction is made by the host. The prince may bottle the meal, supervising the service and checking the food, moving in and out. However, for the important guests, the prince should preside at table, honouring to the one seated on his right and his left. The prince's table may be gourmet, but it must not be gourmand. Well-prepared dishes this episode can be eaten to close. Heavy foods tend to make people gluttons. Another episode Tending to the of guests the you know needs at table is a duty of the prince, using a watchful but unperceived eye over each one. Also, at table, the prince may observe what he missed in the saloon, 
that will show him the soundness or otherwise of the guest. The table is the arena of harmony and welcome, but it is also a place of discrimination. Thank you.